Episode 55, The People of the Promised Land, Part 2. The fear that the Israelites had was real, and it was logical. Yet, despite the fear, they should have looked to God to be the one that would bring them through their trials. However, they turned their backs to God and trusted in themselves and their own abilities when it came to conquering the land of Canaan. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we talked about the spies coming back from their journey through the Promised Land. They saw and experienced the fruitful land. However, despite the land being a great place to settle and raise their families, the spies brought back the report that the land was not possible to take because of the people that lived in the land. Last time, we discussed the Amalekites and the Hittites. In this episode, we'll continue exploring the different nations and people groups within the land of Canaan. The Jebusites would be the next in the list of nations that lived in the land of Canaan. They were the descendants of Canaan, the grandson of Noah. Now it says in Genesis 10, verse 15 and 16, that the Jebusites came from this lineage, but it isn't clear who exactly. Some scholars believe that the Jebusites were an Amorite tribe that became their own. More on them in a second. Or, Jewish tradition holds that the Jebusites were part of the Hittites. Either way, the Jebusites got their name from their capital, which would have been Jebus. Jebus was a city that would later become known as Jerusalem. Yes, the city that would become the capital of Israel. However, at this moment in time, the city of Jerusalem did not exist. In reality, it didn't exist until the reign of King David. The city of Jerusalem was in the hills just north of the Negev. This is where the Jebusites lived, in and around the hills of their capital. It is said that the Jebusites were a warlike people. Up until recently in modern day, it was believed that the Jebusites were not real, made up because their name was only found in the Bible. However, there has been a discovery of a tablet that could have the name of the Jebusites mentioned. The name that they found is Yabusim, and in the Semitic language, the Y becomes a J in the Germanic languages like English, thus making it pronounced Jabusim, or very well Jebusites in modern language. The next group of people that was living in the land of Canaan was the Amorites. They too would be the descendants of Canaan. They would live in the highlands of the country, often the mountains of the land would be called the mountains of the Amorites, because that's where they lived. Starting out west of the Dead Sea, they would cover all the hills until one got to Hebron in the west. At this point, most of the mountainous area would be under their control. Sources have been discovered of this people group outside of the Bible. The Israelites would call them the Amorites. The name that they would go by is Amaru. The name Amaru simply means the West. The reason that their name refers to the West is because they would at one point extend from the Euphrates rivers in the East all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Amorites were believed to be a semi-nomadic tribe. More specifically, they herded donkeys, which would have been a better herd to raise on the mountainous terrain. Moving away from being a nomadic tribe, 
they would eventually set themselves up as city-states. But these city-states would continually be at war with one another. In Jewish tradition, it is thought that the Amorites were symbolized by black water because of their close connection with black art, or, in other words, witchcraft. They were known to be a ruthless tribe. Later, when the Israelites came around, the city-states and its people were known to have caused fear in other tribes and nations. In a hymn that was found, its verses talk about the Amorites. It says that the weapon is his companion, who knows no submission, who eats uncooked flesh, who has no house in his lifetime, who does not bury his dead. Even among the local tribes, the Amorites had a reputation for being ruthless. But we'll discover that most of the nations and tribes in the land of Canaan had a similar reputation as well. The next group of people is the Canaanites. This is a group of people that the land was named after, the land of Canaan. But it also has been named in history as many other things. Some empires knew the land as the Amorites Mountains. Some knew it to be the land of the Hittites. The Israelites called the land of Canaan the Promised Land. So what was it? The interesting thing is that it's all of it. The Amorites, Hittites, Jebusites, they were all descendants of the Canaanites. Canaan, the grandson of Noah, had sons, that from these sons came all the other tribes and nations that would end up settling in the land. So they were all the descendants of Canaan, but they became their own tribe and nation separate from the tribe and nations of Canaan. The Canaanites were very influential throughout the Mediterranean. However, much of their writings don't exist today because they used papyrus instead of clay to document their history. Today, most of their history and what we know about them comes from writings done by other nations and archaeological findings. As mentioned, the Canaanites were influential in the Mediterranean Sea because their land they settled in was mostly on the eastern shores of the sea. However, they also extended into the lowlands of the land where there was good land for pasturing herds. Where the land of Canaan was situated, it became the crossroads of many different cultures. The Egyptians, Mycenaeans, Cretans, Hurons, and Mesopotamian nations would all leave their mark on the culture of the Canaanites. Because the other tribes were living in the land of Canaan, they were all the descendants of Canaan. Many of the different people groups looked and acted very similar. The religion was pretty much the exact same for all the nations. We'll talk about the religion of the nations in a moment. But most of the tribes started out as nomadic and eventually, by the time the Israelites showed up from Egypt, the nations in the land had become city-states, each with their own king set up to rule the city. These cities that were individual city-states were well fortified and defended. Just like the other tribes and nations, the Canaanites themselves were a warlike people that were not easily defeated. The other tribe and nation that is mentioned by the spies is Anakim, or Anakites. When the spies returned, they said that they saw there the Nephilims, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and that the spies felt like grasshoppers to them. This people group is believed to have lived in the southern part of the land, in the hills of Hebron, heading north from the Negev. The hills of Hebron would be next. 
The Anakites were the descendants of Anak, who was the son of Arba. And Arba is said in Joshua 14, verse 15, to be the greatest man among the Anakims. The name Anakim means the long net, or also thought to mean tall. However, other scholars have thought that instead of the name meaning long-necked, it could mean the necklace wearers. Two very different things. Scholars have suggested that the people in Nakam were not actually, well, tall. They believe that the spies only made these comments about the people of the land being giants and them feeling like grasshoppers to help discourage any thoughts of trying to go up and take the land. Often, these arguments about the people of Anakim not being giants are used to avoid the question whether they are Nephilims or not. Because if they are part of the Nephilim race, then who or what created the Nephilims? If they weren't the Nephilims, well then, we can fit it in a nice perfect little box and not have to deal with the reality of giants in the land. To help shine a little more light on the situation, we're going to jump to the future of Israel's history when Joshua comes back to fight against the people of the land of Canaan to conquer the land. It says that he defeated the Nakites to the point where none were left except in a few cities. He didn't destroy all of them. A few of the Nakites lived in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Fast forward again to when David faces Goliath. Goliath was a giant, there's no doubt about that. But what is forgotten is that Goliath is from Gath. Gath is one of the cities that Joshua left the Anakites to live in. Coming back to the spies' report of the land, they saw the Nephilims in the land, who were the sons of Anak, who came from the descendants of Nephilims. To help make this a little more confusing, the local name Raphim is used to describe the giants. The people in the land were Anakites. They came from their forefather Anak, who came from Arba. Arba was considered to be the greatest man among the Anakim. This most likely means greatest fighter. Anak came from the line of the Nephilims. A local name to the land of Canaan referred to the giants as Raphim. Raphim literally means parable ones. In the Hebrew language, Raphim refers to the mighty people, Paul's stature who lived in Canaan. The word Raphim was not a people group but a descriptive word to describe the giants, who were the descendants of Anak. The reason we mention this is because later on in history, a battle will happen between Moses and the Israelites and a king by the name of Og. More will be talked about him later on, but for now, it is believed that Og was to be about 10 to 11 feet tall. This is all to help recognize that the land of Canaan did have giants in it. Even extra-biblical sources have been found in Egypt that writes of giants living in the land of Canaan. But this does point out that the Nephilims from Genesis are thought to be giants, as their descendants were believed to have settled in the land of Canaan. So the Anakites are the descendants of Anak, who is the descendant of Arba. Again, they live most likely in and around Hebron, as it has been discovered that the ancient name for the city of Hebron was Kerjath Arba. This would be the name of the city in Abraham's time as Sarah died there. What this means is that Hebron was actually the ancient city of Arba, or that Arba was the founder of the city.
Arba is believed to be the father of the giants in the land of Canaan, who was a powerful man of war. He would have settled in the land sometime during or before Abraham lived in the land of Canaan. Now, where did Arba come from? This isn't fully clear. Most likely, just like all the other people groups in the land, he was the descendant of Canaan. Yet, he was a giant. In chapter 6 of Genesis, it mentions that the Nephilims lived before and after the flood. Most likely, Arba and his descendants were those referenced by Moses in Genesis. If Arba was a descendant of Canaan, then that would mean that the genetics of the giants passed on through Canaan after the flood. But not all of Canaan's descendants were giants, only this group. However, this isn't actually known to be true. In reality, origin of Arba isn't fully known. What is known is that Arba settled in and around Hebron and the surrounding hills. He then would become the ancestor of Anak, who would then become the father of the Anakites. The Anakites were the giant race living in the land of Canaan. And it is this group of people that the Israelite spies report back to the rest of Israel of feeling like a grasshopper in their sight. For the most part, that is all the main groups of people in the land of Canaan. There are other smaller tribes, but they too are the descendants of Canaan living in the land. Now, there are other nations that will come across on the journey of the Israelites, but for now, this should give an idea of why the spies sent into the land came back and gave the bad report. We'll talk about the Ammonites, Moabites, Edomites, Mennonites, and some other nations later on, as this will be the other nations that the Israelites will encounter. However, these groups don't live in the land of Canaan. They live in the Transjordan along the border of the land of Canaan. To give a little bit of a background of these tribes, and nations, and their religions, those that lived in the land of Canaan pretty much all worshipped the same gods and goddesses that were known to be the Canaanites. They had multiple gods and goddesses. The most famous and worshipped god of the people in the land of Canaan was Hadad. However, because of the Israelites' name for the god, Hadad is better known as Baal, or Baal, depending on the pronunciation. For us, we'll use Baal. Baal was worshipped in much of the ancient Middle East, believed to be the god of fertility, along with other things, but mostly the god of fertility. Baal is thought to have fought the right to be the king of all the gods in a fight with the sea god. After winning the battle with the sea god, Baal is believed to be in a continuous battle with the god of death and sterility the opposite of what Baal represents. The people of the ancient Middle East believed that if there was fertility of the land and people, then Baal was victorious. However, if there came a season of drought and infertility, then the god of death had won. Their religion was similar to that of the ancient Greeks or Romans. They had one main god and then multiple gods and goddesses. They had the god of the sea, the god of death, the goddess of war and love. This religion would be around and cause the Israelites to pursue other gods pretty much for the rest of its time as an independent nation. Now, 
There is a thought that the God of Israel came from the Canaanites and the surrounding nation's religion. There's even a God's name in the Canaanites' religion called El, which is the same name that is often used to refer to the God of the Israelites. El Shaddai, Elohim are all some examples of names that refer to the God of Israel. However, that doesn't mean that he is the same God from the Canaanites. The argument for that the God of the Israelites came from other religions is that because the Israelites' route went through the desert near other nations, when the Israelites were going through the desert, some scholars say that they got a new religion at Mount Sinai, believing to have some influence from the surrounding nations. Also, Moses' father-in-law was a priest for the Mennonites. The Mennonites worshipped similar gods to those of the Canaanites. Scholars believe that because of this, Moses would have brought back much of his father-in-law's theology into the new Israelite religion. When we realize that the God of the Israelites was still the one true God before the Israelites became a people group in the world, he was the God that was there for Abraham, Noah, Adam, and all the other generations in between those men. It shouldn't be looked at as the Israelites copied the surrounding nations' gods and religion. It could be that the surrounding nations copied their gods after the one true God before the Israelites showed up in the world. When the Israelites showed up on the border of the land of Canaan, the tribes and nations within the land were mostly that of city-states. There were some groups that still lived the nomadic lifestyle, but not as many. The society of these city-states is one where they were ruled by the elite, the upper class, and rich of the city. The farmers were the ones that brought in most of the revenue through taxation of their produce. However, the elite were not just the rich or those that had money. Many of these city-states were set up with social systems and classes based on warrior class. Much like the Spartans of ancient Greece, these city-states of the land of Canaan focused on building and supporting the warrior class. So for a young boy, he would have been prepared to become a warrior when he reached manhood. This is often what it means to be a warlike people, a whole society that was raised and trained for battle. The nations within the land of Canaan were not just some easy tribes and nations to conquer. Most of them had well-defended walls and fortified cities that were guarded and protected by elite warrior classes. These warrior classes were raised from the young men to be prepared for battle. This is why the spies brought back a bad report of the land to the Israelites. We began to see the consequences of the Israelites' rebellion. So join us next time in episode 56, Rebellion in the Desert. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.